1: And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas, and you are listening
0: to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August 13th, 2020, episode 2496. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Horseware, yes. <laughs> Good morning, Horse World.
1: What is your favorite day of the week?
0: You never stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life, I could work on this and and I'll never stop learning.
1: Yay, Mary Kitzmiller. She's here the second Thursday of every month on Horses in the Morning, and she and I get to sit down and geek out about all things horse training. This month, which happens pretty regularly. We have Mary on her cell phone because once again, technology has let us down. How you been, Mary? Doing pretty good. Um,
0: Yeah. I don't know why my uh, computer and my microphone and my Skype and my internet is uh, very against me every month, but
1: um, I'm here. So that's all that counts. That's all that counts. You know, last month, that's the problem. Last month, the show went off without a hitch technology wise. Everything went smoothly. We were so excited. We got it all worked out. So this is payback. For the next four months, nothing's going to work right. You know that? I suppose <laughs> so, yeah. Computers are like horses that way, you know? Yes. You have, yeah. you have that day you go out and you, you work with your horse. It's like, ah, oh! you know, rainbows and sparkles. It's all working. Yay, that went well. And then the next time you go out, and it's it's my favorite, the next time you go out and it's at a show, it all falls apart again. <laughs>
0: Yeah, my computer is a chestnut mare this morning, and uh, (laughs) I have to handle it with kid gloves very
1: carefully, make sure I don't hurt its feelings, or I'm going to be in trouble. It's it's either a chestnut mare, or it is the the beautiful registered quarter horse, um, king bars, fancy schmancy horse that someone gave you for free oh it...
0: no the free horses are they are fine you could hit them with a baseball bat in the kneecap and they're still sound and uh it's this is the one that this is like the imported dutch warm bread <laughs> that i waited on for 10 years and came came here and got all sorts of funguses and and is lame and so now he's an imported uh lawn ornament he's an imported lawn <laughs> ornament.
1: there you go well every uh Every show, we always start out with what, what has Mary been up to and what has it inspired her to learn in the global view of horse training. And we talked about this, I think, a little bit last month. You got two new baby donkeys. for It's oh, for the Mustang t- Tip Challenge, right?
0: Yes. It is in Texas, the weekend of September 5th in Graham, Texas. It's a super fun event. If you're in the area, you're looking for a tame Mustang or a baby burrow. Uh, there will be several available for adoption, and uh, I got two. I'm competing with one. The other one I got because my mom was there, and she wanted four, so we <laughs> compromised and got two.
1: So you compromised on two? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but they're lovely. Oh, my gosh. So introduce, give us the quick introduction to your, now, are they donkeys or burros, or does it matter?
0: Um, I have looked this up. It's interchangeable. It, you know, it's the same. Um, Burro is, I believe, donkey in Spanish, and burrito is small donkey. Um, I did not know, but burro, huh?
1: Did not know that.
0: I know. Well, this is on my very cursory Google research. So, if someone has different information, please update me. But burro is typically the term that we'll use for a wild donkey um, that is running running free in the wild. These two came from uh, the northwest part of Arizona. Um, and, uh, they're very, very cute. They're under a year old and full of attitude and fluff.
1: (laughs) Now you have two, one that's kind of the grayish color and one that's kind of the brownish color. Is that right?
0: Yes. Yeah. I have one that's black with some white points and then one that she looked real blonde when she was fluffy and I finally caved and, uh, um, body clipped her because, her fur was not dropping, it was getting all matted she was she was hot, so I did a light body clip, so now she's gray
1: there we go so and and the one of the two what are their names uh so my mom named them, and it's Paloma and Puebla.
0: Aww. Um, Paloma is the little fluffy one and I believe it means dove and I looked at Puebla and it's usually a term for city or people. So I'm not sure how <laughs> appropriate it is, but it's cute. You know, if you don't understand the, the what the Spanish word means, the, the, the word is cute. <laughs> so there I guess go. we named her people <laughs> or city. <laughs> there you go.
1: It's one of those exotic California kind of names, like when some, uh, some Hollywood star names their kid, um, planet. You know,
0: <laughs> yeah, yes, or like, yeah, it's one of those. Um, but it does fit her. She's she's a very cute little donkey.
1: So our training, our training thought for the week or the month is what training donkeys taught me about training horses. Please enlighten me because I have never tried to train a donkey.
0: Oh, yeah. So um, I've trained I trained mules for years. I showed mules for years. And I've uh, started a few donkeys under saddle, and I've worked with feral donkeys. These are my fir- two uh, first. I've had a burrow before, but she didn't get much training. She's just kind of hanging in my pasture being cool. Uh, so this is my first real concentrated training with wild burrows. And there is a great saying in the horse world and the mule world. And I don't know if it originated with Tom Dorrance or Ray Hunt. I know Pat Pirelli uses the term all the time. And it is um, the way that you should train a horse is the way you must train a mule. And this is very true with donkeys as well, I believe. And what that means is um, mules and donkeys have less of a flight response than horses. Donkeys Really have not not a huge flight response, um, and so you can't really bully a mule or a donkey the way you could with a horse. You could make enough noise and pressure to to kind of more I don't want to say force, but you, you could kind of make a horse do more things just out of sheer I'm going to intimidate you to do this. So it's kind of easy to find yourself going down that path with a horse of using just a, a bit too much pressure and not being patient enough and not waiting for for try from that horse and you can get away with it to a certain extent with a horse mule or donkeys no they do not suffer the fools and so oftentimes with a mule and especially with a donkey uh you're going to find yourself using alternative ways to train and really thinking about how you use pressure um Because um, with a donkey, so a horse, if a horse sees a a bubblegum wrapper fly across the arena, he has the stamina and ability to run a thousand miles an hour, a hundred miles away. And then later he can think about, was that really threatening or was it just a bubblegum wrapper? Um, So as frustrating as that can be with working with horses, it's actually very useful because it often doesn't take very much pressure at all to get a horse to move. Or or um, we use that flight response with horses in training. Sometimes we depend on it too much. Um, with a donkey, a donkey can't do that. He's got very little, he, compared to a horse, he doesn't have the stamina to run and run and run and run and think about it later. He's got to really think, okay, is this a bubble gum wrapper or a mountain lion? Is this worth running away from? And a donkey's response to something scary can often be the opposite of, Uh, of a horse in that they will freeze. And um, in some cases, a donkey will lean into pressure because in the wild, if a predator is attacking them, they will lean into them to see if they can get them off their feet. And then the donkey will use his head, neck, feet, whatever to fight. So their fight response is a little bit more prevalent than in a horse. And so um, using escalating pressure with the donkey uh, oftentimes just does not work um, I've seen people trying to load donkeys at a mule auction before with a two by four. And that donkey is like, nope. And when a donkey locks his knees and says, no, it is not happening. I don't care <laughs> what you do. Yeah. I don't care if you get fireworks and set them off, you know, up his butt, he is not doing it. So when you use pressure or negative reinforcement by negative reinforcement, I mean, you're going to use some pressure to get the donkey to move and then release the pressure when he does it. You have to be so careful. Um, you you do not want to you know make contact with a whip rope anything like that um, if you can help it at all. And going harder when the donkey doesn't do something it, it's just nine times out of ten it's not happening. So uh, and you know you don't you don't want to do that to any animal really. Um, but so with a donkey. Uh, what I have learned and and my learning has evolved greatly just working with these two little guys is uh, a couple of tips that have really helped me with them is, uh, one, be patient and wait. These little guys are so smart. We often think a donkey or mule is stubborn and really the stubbornness is just cleverness. They're very smart. You have to really convince them to do something because they, do, they have a very strong survival instinct. They want to protect themselves at all costs. So if I'm leading my donkey over a trail bridge, the donkey looks around and he says, well, here is solid ground. I know, you know, right here, we, if you want to go from point A to point B, let's go around the bridge because this is the safest thing. I don't know what that bridge is. I don't know if it's stable. I don't know if it's going to swallow up and eat me. Um, So you really have to convince that donkey, this bridge is okay. I've got your best interest in heart. You know, it's going to be worth it if you do it. Um, And you can't just, you know, try to push them over it. Um, So these guys are really smart. And even when they're standing completely still and it looks like they're not soaking up anything you're teaching them, I promise you they are. And a great example of this is uh, working with Paloma on the trailer loading um, I had worked steadily up to trailer loading by, I taught her to walk on the trail bridge. I taught her to go over a pedestal. I made, you know, I, I gave her big rewards for it. I got a really solid on it to where she's actually dragging me to the bridge because she, she got cookies for it. She got relief. She got a rush. She got scratches, um, And so she, when I walked her up to the trailer, I could tell she knew, oh, this is more pedestal work. And she wasn't really afraid of the trailer itself. But what she didn't like, my trailer's kind of next to my chicken coop. There's a lot of commotion going around. And with the trailer door open, her vision is blocked. She couldn't see around the ranch. And that really stressed her out. She didn't like that. So she wasn't really so much scared of the trailer herself, but she was just worried about having some of her senses blocked. And the other thing that made her worried is um, her stall and her her buddy is back in the stall. She she doesn't want to be that far from her buddy. So I knew that it wasn't about the trailer getting her on. Um, And I knew that the thing that I had to conquer to get her on the trailer was to simply get her okay with... We're far away from your friend, and yes, this trailer is blocking your field of vision. Um, so I needed to get her okay with that. So every day, we'd walk up to the trailer, and I made a deal with her. I said, you don't have to get in, but I do want you to be nice and quiet and calm before we leave. So... I didn't like try to tap her to get in the trailer. I remember my mom was watching me load her one day. She's like, you want me to walk up behind him? Like, nope, I don't care if she gets in. We're not, that's not what this is about. And so we would just walk up to the trailer. I give her a cookie scratch on her. And I would just, wait. That's all I would do. And she'd turn her head and try to look behind her. She'd try to go around the trailer. At one point, like she stuck her nose under the trailer door, like, can I crawl out through here? (laughs) And all I did, you know, I made sure that it wasn't so overwhelming that she just was in panic mode. I knew she could handle this challenge. And I just sat there and I waited and she'd kind of, you know, try to whirl around or back up or, you know, look around the trailer door and I just wait and wait and wait. And then she'd kind of go, okay, well this isn't so bad. And she'd relax. As soon as she did that, I gave her a cookie, put her up. That's all I did. And I did that for three days in a row, walk her up to the trailer. We're going to, we're just going to hang out here until you're quiet and calm and you wait for me. Okay. Now we can go back. And I take her back to her buddy and you know, we'd be done with the lesson. And then on day three, after a few minutes of her saying, I want to leave. I don't want to be here. I want to go this way. I want to go that way. Um, she finally just kind of went, <sighs> bounced right in the trailer. And she was totally, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I gave her a handful of cookies. I said, you're so good. And I put her up, done with the lesson. And then every day since then, she walks up to the trailer, hops in like a pro. I don't have to tap her. I don't have to whirl the lead rope. She knows that the task is get in the trailer and you'll be rewarded for your effort. Now, if I had been more anxious about it, and I had thought, I have to get you on the trailer lesson one, and I had tried to bother her and tap her and put the rope behind her butt and have people walk up behind her and and everything, I would have ruined that lesson. And then getting her on the trailer after that would have been almost impossible. And donkeys, you know, they don't recover well from poor experiences. Um, so I needed to make sure that no matter what happened, we don't make this bad. We don't fight each other. I don't do too much too soon. I don't overwhelm her because she will remember that for the rest of her days. And it could always be an issue. Um, a horse will forgive you for a bad trailer loading experience to a certain extent. But a mule and a donkey, if, if uh, there's another good saying about mules and donkeys, and it has to do with trailer loading. And it's, um, if you trailer load a horse and he has a bad experience, he gets hurt in the trailer, say, he will always remember that trailer. But if you trailer load a mule and something bad happens, he gets hurt in that trailer. He will always remember who put him in that trailer. And Interesting. that's in- Yes. It's, I found it to be very accurate. They take it personally. So how does, <laughs> yes. Yes. They're very clever. They don't, you know, if you tell them you're going to be okay, and I'm not going to let you get hurt. And then something bad happens, you know, and accidents happen, we all get through it. But, you know, if you're not careful, and you say, you know, walk across this, this obstacle, and something bad happens, they're going to remember that. And they're going to say, you broke your contract with me, You you let something bad happen. I'm going to remember this forever <laughs>
1: <laughs> see they the uh, the burrow the originator of holding the grudge,
0: yes, yes, they have good memories and if you if you play your cards right, that can be incredible because they remember so well, they retain so well. I can't tell you how many times I've trained a mule or donkey. And I thought, you're not getting any of this. Nothing happened today. And I put them up and I thought about it all night. Like, ah, we just didn't get anywhere. And then the next day they came out and did it perfect. Like they'd been doing it for years. Um, so, you know, I'd say, how does that all relate to horse training? Um, patience, number, number one, um, you know, just, just be patient, just, wait for it. And then, you know, the next thing I would say is whatever try you would expect for a horse normally, like for a horse, I might've expected to get him right on the trailer first lesson, but for a donkey, I knew this might take a week and that's okay. We're not going anywhere. We don't need to go anywhere. Um, If you can take some of that patience that, that you have if you're training a donkey or an animal with less flight reaction, Um, and you can bottle that up and use it in your horse training. Your horse training will get even better. It's, uh, it works. If you can train a mule or a donkey, you can train a horse. It's like graduate work for horse trainers.
1: Interesting stuff. Wow. So, and that, and again, you, you, when you initiated, okay, we're going to learn how to get into a horse trailer recognizing that it literally wasn't about getting in the horse trailer. There were pre-ingredients that needed to be taken care of before stepping in the horse trailer was a good idea to do. So I think more, one of the things as trainers we need to do is get better at recognizing what the real problem is. Is the problem really picking up the left lead or is it some prerequisite to that? Right? Yes.
0: And, and, and this, this will actually tie into all the questions. We got great questions. (gasps) Oh, Great questions. Um, 99 times out of a hundred, it is not the trailer. It's everything that you need to get right when you go to the trailer and, and with a lot of horse problems, um, that, you know, Oh, he won't pick up his left lead. He won't collect. He won't trot. He won't, he won't do this. Most of the time where we were able to recognize the problem where the horse is clearly showing us they are not going to do something, they're not able to do something, It's we're thinking of the finished maneuver. And we're, we're thinking of, well, my horse won't pick up the left lead. So you think, well, I need to tap him on the right hip. I need to do this and that and the other. But we're not thinking of what had to happen to make the lead happen. And I tell you what. Almost every time that I'm teaching lessons, someone wants me to help them get their horse to get the correct lead. Most, almost every single time, the problem with the lead is not in the canner, it's in the walk. The horse that can't walk right. If he can't walk a straight line, he cannot take the correct lead. I mean, you you will probably get it out of luck. Um, but if he's unbalanced and he doesn't like to take the correct lead, and then you also don't have your walk working for you, he's definitely not going to get that lead for you. So, and, you know, the problem is usually the horse is walking unbalanced. He's, he's walking with his shoulder caved in or his hips swung out, or he's walking like he's, you know, a, a cat burglar and he's kind of sneaking and stopping and <laughs> If,
1: if you Ken can get a good, walk, I like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he's just kind of tiptoeing and then stopping. So it's like a really pokey walk or he's anticipating the lead and he's kind of jiggy, jiggy, walking, trotting and not really walking. He's not going to take the correct lead. If, if you can get a good straight extended walk on a loose rein, you can probably get that lead. Um, Ooh. it takes very little other than just getting that nice, balanced walk. So, you know, that all goes back to look at all the things. What has to happen for that lead to happen? And um, with donkeys, they sort of force you to really take that into account because, again, you can't increase your pressure and just wave a a plastic bag around um, because that donkey will say, oh, no, now I'm definitely not getting in the trailer. You've got to (laughs) really use your brain and think, okay, why doesn't he want to get in? What can I do to make getting in the trailer the easiest thing in the world for him?
1: There you go. Well, fascinating, great stuff. And speaking of prerequisites, if your horse has bug bites, hives, sunburn, etc., prerequisite, the thing to take care of that, it's not the sunshine the problem. It's the fact that he doesn't have anything covered up. So we're gonna hear from our title sponsor, Horseware, who makes something called fly sheets. <laughs> Another long, tough fly season is right around the corner. And the only choice for this fly season are the Amigo range of fly sheets because they're built tough and feature the latest in design comfort, bug-busting technology, and sun-protecting fabrics. And the Amigo range has a fly sheet for every budget, from the Amigo Bug Buster Vamoose with no fly zone to the Amigo Bug Rug fly sheet. Find Amigo fly sheets at your local or online retailer, or you can visit horseware.com. That's Horseware, H-O-R-S-E-W-A-R-E.com. And it's time for listener Q&A time. What have you got for us this month? Okay, I'm going to
0: start with Stephanie Eileen because she's been very patient um, asking this question. I believe she asked this last month and I didn't get to it. So we're going to do yours first. And her question has to do with clicker training. And she said, if you haven't already, how do you address a nippy horse who gets nippy and stays that way for a week after you try the first step in clicker training, which is not to be mouthy. I've had to throw positive reinforcement out the window, unfortunately, because we can't conquer this first step. Um, So I completely understand and empathize with your frustration. I've been here myself. In fact, this is probably the number one issue with people who first try clicker training. Um, this is the number one thing that makes them stop. And, and I went through this, we all go through this where your horse all of a sudden realizes, Oh, you've got cookies on you and you're, you're a vending machine and they get super excited about it. And now we've created a monster and any, any trainer out there who says, Oh, don't, don't train with treats. Don't clicker train. This is the thing they point to. Um, and this is a, this is a real issue that everyone goes through So my advice for this is um, don't be hard on yourself um, don't be hard on your horse which I know you're not going to be um, but when you're starting this clicker training if you' if you're thinking of exploring positive reinforcement and clicker training um, just remember you are doing something with, completely you know new and unique protocols that you're probably never used to working with before. It's it's a whole new world of training and thinking about training. And um you know it's it's you're gonna open a can of worms so to speak. So what I would recommend to anyone and I and I've told anyone who has asked me about clicker training to do this is find a really good program and invest in it. Um because when you see clicker training online, you see someone do it on YouTube and you're like, Oh, I could figure this out. Um, a lot of it you can. It's it's very accessible. Um, but when you run into an issue like this, it's like, Well, what do I do now? It's almost like trying to train with oven mitts on, like you feel <laughs> That's like That's a good you analogy. Need to catch yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like it's like you feel like you've handicapped yourself a bit and you don't know what to do and the easiest thing is just to not do it. And that's totally fine. Many people just try it and they're like, ah, this isn't the way I want to go. I am not criticizing anyone for doing that. But if you're if you're willing to give it a try or you've got some residual issues, I would I would find a good program and I've got tons I can recommend. Um uh one is Alexandra Curlin, I've had her on the show before. She she has my favorite, most comprehensive work with clicker that I've seen, and she addresses this issue very heavily in her work. She, you can find her online. I think her website is the click that teaches. Um, I think it's the click that But if you Google her, she's incredibly well-versed uh, in the science of it. She comes, a lot of people who get into it maybe not, didn't start with horses, but she's got horse background. She's uh, She does some incredible work. So anything that she puts out there, she's got an online course, totally recommend. Um, I've got an intro DVD uh, on my website, com. you can look into. There's another website um, of trainers in the UK, Connection Training. There's uh, Shauna, Car- I can never get her last name right, Karish. Karish, yes. Uh, she has a show, uh, I believe, um, and she does incredible work. But I would definitely, it's worth the time and expense to look into a program, study it thoroughly, and they've got all that information on how to tackle that. But um, I'm also going to dive into it right now. So with clicker training, the first lesson I teach is actually targeting. Uh, but the second lesson I teach is what Destiny is dealing with, which is um, my horse, realizes I have cookies and he wants to bite my arm off. What the heck do I do? So with clicker training, at least for the first several steps, you are uh, really going to eliminate using what's called positive punishment, which is my horse bites me, I whack him in the face. Uh, You want to prevent that so you don't have to go there, where you have to back your horse up, push him off of you, or bop him on the nose. Um, You really want to avoid that because it will kind of mess up your first steps and make it even more confusing for the horse. And you might even find yourself in a really bad cat and mouse game where the horse is like, especially if it's a baby. And I think Stephanie is a really young horse she's dealing with. um, The horse will go, okay, how fast can I try to get the cookies from her before she whacks me in the face? And you've got this back. It just doesn't work. It's just a a messy situation. So how do you teach them without, uh, you know, getting hurt or getting them stepping in your space? Um, you want to use uh, uh, what I would call uh, a protective environment, protected contact. And what I will do with a horse like this that is so mouthy it's becoming a nuisance is I will put them behind a barrier. So like a stall guard is a really good one where they have the freedom to to stick their head over and they can access you and access the cookies, but there's that barrier. Um, I've done it uh, on the other side of round pen panels before. And what you're going to use, what you're going to do, is the horse is being uh, pushy. You're going to use what's called negative punishment, which means I'm not playing this game with you until you behave. So by using a barrier, uh, a fence, a stall guard, a panel, something solid uh, that they can't push through, if my horse gets silly, I can just take a step back. And I'll just stand there and they can give me all their mean faces and stretching out towards me all they want. I'm just going to stand there and wait, just like I was talking about with the donkeys. I'm going to wait until you're quiet. And then when you're quiet, I'm going to click and say, that's what I would like. And I'm going to hand them the food. If the horse is particularly mouthy about taking treats, you can give them the treat in a bucket. Um, Alex Curland has a really good method where she'll put the treat in her hand closed and kind of slide. She'll hold onto the horse's halter, slide her hand down the horse's face and give the treat kind of through the corner of their mouth. Um, so it's a very, uh, methodical way to keep the horse from reaching for you. Uh, the other thing I would do in this case is look at the treats you're using. You might be using something that's too high value. So like the horsey equivalent of birthday cake, which is my favorite dessert, that might make them just a little too nuts. You might want to switch to something like grass pellets, which is like delicious, but eh, it's like if you gave me carrot sticks, I'm like, well, I don't hate these, but I don't, I'm not going to go nuts over them either. So if they're getting too rambunctious, switch to a more low value treat, something that they'll still take, they'll enjoy, but they're not nuts over it. So I would work on that. And what I do when I do this lesson is I'll stand next to the horse, but not so close if the horse is particularly pushy that they can actually make contact with me. And I stand at an at ease position. I put my hands in front of me and I hold one hand in the other and I'm facing forward kind of parallel with the horse's neck. And This will become my default cue. When I take this kind of at ease position, my horses that are quicker trained at this point know, oh, this is our, we're quiet pose. And they know to stand straight and quiet. Um, Also, it kind of keeps your fingers and everything out of the way. So the horse can't reach for you. And I will just wait and he might try to reach for my cookie bag and I'll just sit there waiting and he might, you know, try to stretch his head over the stall and be silly and make silly faces. And I'll wait until something happens. Maybe something distracts the horse and he looks away. Okay, click treat. And the other piece of advice I'll give you with this, and I went through this myself. And I think I almost at this point think everyone has to go through this because I keep telling them over and over again, you need to do it this way. But it's not until their horse is a nuisance that they go, oh, yeah, I do need to do it that way. You cannot work on this enough. I work on it every day several times a lesson with all my horses no matter how advanced they are and the reason I do this is one it's a reminder that yeah we just did something really fun and energetic and crazy and you just got a good treat but let's come back and be quiet now and um, it will just continually reinforce that we're going to be quiet we're going to be quiet we're going to be quiet the other reason that this is so valuable and this took me a while before I understood the value of this is it's not just about getting them to stop mouthing me for cookies. We need to teach this with our horses, regardless if you're treat training or not of let's have our quiet time. We're going to stand and wait because in that horse's life, you, you like half of the time we spend with him, we need him quiet and waiting, whether I'm holding him for the farrier or I'm waiting in the lineup um, at the show for our placings, or I'm waiting on deck to go in And show my horse or I'm waiting at the trailhead and my friends, you know, still saddling up and we've got to wait and be quiet. And if you train this, like, you can't do it too much. It is impossible to do it too much. You will be so surprised at the change in your horse just, you know, everywhere in general. It's not always just about getting him to behave around food. What you're really teaching the horse is something really exciting is happening. And you're going to learn emotional control. Even though I know you're really excited and you really want that cookie, you're going to learn that it's time to grow up. And just because you feel really excited and anxious, you can you still need to be quiet and behave. And the wonderful thing about using treat training to do this or clicker training to do this is your horse at first will just do it so he can get the cookies from you. But after a while, he's going to associate standing quiet and being a good boy and and being soft and relaxed and listening and waiting for your cue. He's going to love doing that because he's going to associate with all the times he did it and he got cookies. Um, so you can actually make your horse crave being calm and quiet and stationary. Um, so it is really worth looking into, but I'd say the number one thing, you know, I hope this advice helps. The Number one thing, if you're interested in, in looking into this, is invest in a good program. Um, find a trainer in your area if one's available. If not, you know, feel free to contact me. I've got loads of good recommendations of things that'll get you started. So get, I, I
1: hope get that Mary's helps. DVD. Yes, that's, I have one of those. That's my that's my contribution because it looks so easy on the surface. Wait till your horse does what you want him to do: click it and feed it. But they're just like anything else, whatever method training really, really well so that you have the kinds of success that you admire in your mentors is hard. There's are, there are so many tiny subtleties that as a newbie we're unaware of. Get the DVD, you'll be doing yourself a favor. There you Yay! go. <laughs> All right, great. Thank you, Stephanie Eileen, for the question because that one applies to so many people. What's next?
0: Okay, uh, so let's see here. Um, best way, this is from Amanda Kramer, best way to discipline your horse. Backstory. Oh, a good ding, ding. wait a minute, was, wait a minute,
1: wait, 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 we need yes. this. We need this. Backstory.
0: Okay. Ooh, that was dramatic. <laughs> what is our backstory? So, A good friend was walking her horse down the aisle as they passed a horse in cross ties. He kicked out at the other horse and nearly kicked a person in the head. Ooh, this is dramatic. This horse is starting to kick out more and more, both when ridden and not. Pain has been ruled out by vet in Cairo. Everyone believes it's a behavior problem. The on-site trainer had her lunge him for an hour to teach him being naughty means you work. But will he really make the connection? great question um, so i'm going to take your word for it and we're just going to put the the possible pain um issues aside although one thing i might add is you might look into possible digestive upset but i'm sure your vet probably covered that base and by digestive you know possible ulcer problems um, the next thing i'm going to throw in there that is not necessarily behavior but you should look into it is environment uh, how much time is this horse in a stall? Does he have a social network? Does he have horses he can interact with, whether it's in turnout or like over over a fence? Um, I would say, how often is he exercised? Is he in a stall most of the week and maybe ridden 30 minutes two or three times a week? Uh, I would look into diet. Is he on a high-powered grain that's really meant for barrel racers, Um, but he's getting ridden like a trail horse? All of these are very important So, you know, I would encourage you to dive a little deeper into those areas, look into environment, um, turnout does a horse a world of good, getting him out of that stall as often as possible. Even if it's to go on a walk, does a world of good him having, uh, being able to have social, uh, interactions with other horses, as long as it's safe, you know, and they get along, um, and not overfeeding a lot of horses were feeding rocket fuel for, you know, he just needs to go point A to point B for a couple of minutes, a few times a week. Uh, so those are all, so we'll get that out of the way and let's go to behavior. Um, so, uh, the lunging, the, the, the taking the horse out and lunging him for an hour to, um, that, uh, I'm on the fence about it. Exercise is good. Exercise does a world of good. Lunging, I think is often misunderstood because for the horse, Other than getting them fit and, you know, getting them, uh, getting their muscles warmed up, getting, you know, getting a little bit of the energy out. It's very great for that. But after a while, uh, your horse will become very fit and the lunging just becomes redundant circles. And I've seen horses just turn their brain off and they'll be lunged for an hour. And then you swing a leg over the stirrup, you know, you you swing a leg up and get on and they still crew hop with you, um, I've I've seen horses, they can just kind of turn off after a while with lunging because it's just round and round and round in a circle. And once that horse gets fit, then you have to lunge them longer and longer. You're really not engaging their brain, are you? Exactly. And some horses, lunging actually amps them up. Some of your more hot-blooded horses, like I had a Morgan that was this way. uh, She has the stamina of a freight train. She's not, this is not going to do any, it's not going to humble her in any way. It's not going to tire her out in any way. These horses were bred to work in the field all day and then go win the races at night. So lunging for an hour, this that's nothing for her. Uh, and I also wouldn't want to use lunging as uh, a punishment. I don't want him to go, Oh God, lunging again, because that's a valuable thing that I, I need for my horse. I do want him to enjoy his work. So I would say in addressing this, um, one thing I have noticed the better and better I get at groundwork with my horses is I don't have a horse that'll do this. Um, my horses, if I'm, if I have my hands on them, they will not go after other horses. They will not kick out at other horses. I have been T-boned on my horse by, uh, other horses that have run into my horse and he knows just, nope, I'm not reacting. I'm just going to try to survive and that's it. Um, And the reason for this, I believe, is a good groundwork program. And here are some things that I would look for in a good groundwork program. Um, You want to focus on precision, variety of exercises, and a balance of sensitizing exercises, meaning you're going to teach him how to move his feet in different ways, and desensitizing exercises, meaning you're going to teach him how to acclimate to certain things and not react to everything. Um, And so there's several groundwork programs out there that cover all the bases and even though this problem seems very specific and you almost want to address it in a very specific way um if you were to send this horse to me to train and say oh he has this problem he kicks out at other horses and he's kicking out more and more i would do the same groundwork with him that i would do with a mustang that had just come off the range and i'm starting for the first time or an old show horse that just needs legged up or a horse that won't get on the trailer or a horse that won't line up to the mounting block. It's all the same to me. And it's all about getting precision and control with those feet. So that involves, I'm going to teach them how to yield their hindquarters, how to move their rib cage, how to move their shoulder, how to go forward, how to go back, how to soften to pressure, how to be acclimated to things like tarps and bags and, and things like that. And it feels very cookie cutter. Like I just do the same thing for every horse, um, I I don't do the exact same thing, but you know, same kind of ideas, but go for a horse that goes through that. I find that any big issues that they have are either gone completely by the time we've completed our groundwork, um, or they're now incredibly manageable and I have the tools to fix them. So this is very tricky. If a horse is kicking out another horse and cross ties in the barn aisle, it would be extremely hard to punish them in that moment because you're in an unsafe space. Um, there are people there, there's another horse that is restrained. You don't want to upset him and have him have an accident in the cross ties. You know, you might be on a concrete, uh, floor with, and the horse has shoes on. So, um, you know, you're going to have to be very thoughtful in what you do. Um, what I m- might consider doing is getting a really good backup on him and backing him down the barn aisle. But again, I say this you need to be extremely cautious about this. Um, yeah. What you don't but, want,
1: what you don't want to do though, is teach him that when he feels threatened, obviously he feels threatened if he's kicking at things, when he feels threatened to suddenly back up, because then you put him on the cross ties, he feels threatened. He's like, Oh, I'm supposed to back up when I feel threatened. Ta-da. You've just taught him to, you know, pull back on the cross. Yeah. Ties. So this is and a, when this is is a up, classic case right here of breaking it down into teensy yeah. teensy little chunks.
0: Yeah. And when I say backing, I don't mean like punishing him, making him run back down the barn aisle. I would, you know, teach him in the arena. Here's how you back. And then, um, and I used to do this with horses, uh, quite often is in, if I had to go a very short distance, let's back from point A to point B. And I do it very calmly. And the reason I say this is, it's something I'm not trying to do use it as a punishment. I'm trying to use it as a hey, I have something complicated for you to do and you need to listen to me and yeah, there's a horse over there, but you need to you need to work on this exercise for me and you're you're gonna be focused on me and not worried about that other horse. The other thing that comes to my mind with this horse specifically is you might work in a safe area on obstacle work. Teach him to go through tight spaces Ooh, so you yeah. can build. Yeah. Because a lot of times this kicking out, and I dealt with this with Remy when I first got him in training. Um, In his early stages, he was very territorial and did not like other horses in his space. Um, And at first I thought it was aggression, and then I realized it was fear um, because... um, when I, I had to walk in between two horses that they were a safe distance apart that I knew we could walk through them safely, but they were close enough to make him feel uncomfortable. And as we walked between the two horses in the warm up area at this show, I saw him wince like he was expecting to get hurt. And it made me go, oh, you're not aggressive. You're scared. And your reaction to being too close to other horses is you try to get big and mean to make yourself look scary. So maybe they won't hurt you. Best defense is a good offense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, and he's gotten over that over time with a lot of work and just getting near other horses. So in the case that this kind of kicking out is a fear issue, working with obstacles, I'd say is very good. Teach him, uh, you know, put, you can, I take two jump standards and tie pool noodles to them and teach him to go through. And I, I put those, those standards closer and closer together until he can push through the noodles and they brush past the skin and it doesn't bother him. So doing things like that, um, you know, it doesn't have to be this big elaborate obstacle you have to build. You can even take a barrel and put it like 15, 20 feet off the arena wall and teach him to send through that on the ground. And then you could put that barrel closer and closer to the wall until he can squeeze through that space and he's okay with that. I think that might be something to look into with this horse. Um, but I would, I would look into look into the groundwork you're doing and, and find a very thorough program and take him through the steps with that and see if that doesn't help things get better. And one I could recommend is it's one of my favorite groundwork uh, resources that I recommend to people. It's by Buck Braneman. And it's just a little red, skinny little hardcover book that just says Groundwork. And it's no frills, no woo-woo. It's very, you should try this and then try this and then try this. There's a lot of lariat work in there. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you can, uh, you can just skip those steps or you can um, simulate those steps with a long lead rope. Uh, If you're not familiar with lariat rope, that might be the best thing to get started, but it's all about teaching the horse how to go forward, how to do his transitions, how to yield his hindquarters, move his ribcage, how to get used to different things. Like there's a great exercise where you teach your horse to come pick you up off of a fence and they can see you from up high. And it's all the groundwork that he does to start colts, but it would work with a horse at any level,
1: any age. It's a great resource. Ding, 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 ding. That's great, great stuff. And there's little tidbits in there that I'm c i am can apply to Nigel because he doesn't have any kicking issues. He's not a kicker, but he does have the discomfort with things getting close to the sides sometimes. And I, I can see it in his body language. So I'm going to apply some of those things. And speaking of problems that needing solve need solving, one of our sponsors today is Equiderma. You've heard us talk a lot about Equiderma recently. And when you go to Equiderma.com and use coupon code HRN15, you will get 15% off your order. And why would you want to do that? Well, one of the reasons you would want to do that is because Equiderma makes neem shampoo and neem and aloe conditioner. And as many regular listeners know, and I know you have experience with this too, uh, Mary, we have a horse with sensitive skin. His name's Scooter. And he gets scooter. scooter, scooter gets itchy spots. He gets itchy skin. He has dry, itchy skin to boot. He lives on a dry lot because he's a little fat pony and he has to get a weekly bath. If we wait more than a week to give him a bath, he starts to get itchier and drier. So when we give him his weekly bath, we need to do so, use something that is skin friendly And just because your shampoo has pretty pictures on it doesn't mean it's skin friendly. So we use Equiderma Neem Shampoo because Neem is really, really good for their skin. And uh, we used it again this past weekend. And Glenn's favorite part, because Glenn is a horse husband after all, is the Neem and Aloe Conditioner makes their skin and hair super soft and moisturized, but not greasy because all grease does is hold in more dirt. So go to Equiderma.com and check out the neem and arnica shampoo and neem and aloe conditioner for your horse if you want them to be fresh and clean and soft and don't forget when you check out use hrn 15 for 15 percent off your order yay now we have time to- we have time for just one more q a and we've got two left so who's going to be the winner
0: Okay, um well we have one from Katie Moulton. Um oh no wait, I don't okay, I don't have a name for this one. I wanted to do the one about handling the feet. I don't know if this one is for from Katie or from someone else, but it is prepping your horse to stand for the farrier. And I will I will look up a name here uh as soon as I can. But it's prepping your horse to stand for the farrier. It's one thing to lift their feet every day and pick them out ourselves, but another to have the farrier stretch them all these different directions and apply pressure to their feet, et cetera. So I guess best ways to train your horse for the farrier. Uh, This is a great question, and I'm so happy that uh, you're being Proactive and, and making your farrier's life easier because farriers aren't meant to be our horse trainers, and it's just it's great for them uh, if we can make our horse as best as they can be for them. Um, so I actually learned i I worked um, one of my first jobs was for a clinician uh, in the kind of western side of things. And I've changed my program a lot since working for them. But one of the best things I did learn from them was feet handling. Um, And we had to trim a lot of the horses at this ranch. And he had us trim. uh, We did a lot of horse breeding. And a lot of the mares, we used um, uh, recipient mares. So these are mares that you would take the embryo from your fantastic show pony that you want to keep showing and don't disrupt their career and we put that in a recent mare and a lot of these mares are just they came from kind of varied backgrounds a lot of them were pretty rank uh they were just sort of horses that fell through the cracks maybe they they were really troubled in a past life um and so they got a second second shot as baby carriers um but most of them were not very good about having their feet handled. And he would not let us bring them into the barn to trim their feet. We had to go out to the pastures and trim them out there. And this was uh, in the northern part of the country. We'd have huge snow drifts. And you don't want to be out there any longer than you have to. So in the summer, um, I would make it my mission to make sure this horse handled so well with their feet that I could go out there and trim their feet in five or ten minutes and not get frostbite. So That's what pretty I motivated That's very motivating. It, it was, <laughs> and it made me excellent at getting horses' feet handled. Um, so one, just like I've mentioned in several of these other questions, good groundwork program. That's the start right there. Um, it, you know, good, thorough groundwork program where you're working on getting control of your feet. It's got a good balance of sensitizing and desensitizing. There's a lot of programs out there that cover all those bases. Um, now, specifically to the feet, Um, if it's a wild rank mare that has to be roped to be haltered, which is what I dealt with a lot of the times, um, you know, I'd put her through the groundwork paces, but when it came handling their feet, I don't want to been down there and have my head, you know, in kicking range, um, with this horse, the first time I go to touch their feet. So I would take, um. Uh, one of those little training sticks, you can do this with a whip, just something that's an extension of my arm. And I would touch them all over all four legs until they could accept that. And not just the outside, I'd go the inside and outside and not just the part I'm going to pick up all the way up to the elbow, all the way up to the stifle. I make sure I could touch them everywhere with that stick and they would stand and be quiet. Um, so that's number one make sure you can touch them anywhere with something you're using as an extension of your arm Um, and don't if it's a dressage whip make sure you're not tickling them make it a nice firm like make contact and rub all up and down until they'll stand and be quiet stand at the horse's shoulder when you do this if they kick the whip out of my hand it's fine because I'm at the shoulder and uh, I'll just go pick up the whip and start again Um, so stand at their shoulder have a a loose grip on the lead rope, but not so loose that they can wheel around and kick you. So you want to hold your lead rope about oh a foot from the halter. Um, and you're not going to pull on the horse unless they move. You want to keep their head straight or uh, tipped slightly in your direction. If they look the, uh, to the opposite side of you, make sure you straighten their head because if they look to the opposite direction, it's very easy for them to swing their butt into you and hurt you. Um, So, you know, stay at the shoulder, keep their head tipped towards you. If they move when you're doing any of this, just go with them, tip their head towards you and move in a small circle, not even really a circle. You want to be yielding those hindquarters, the horse, and just go with them as long as they want to move around because they're moving in such a tight circle. They realize after a while, this is hard work. That's not worth it. And then when they stand and relax, release the pressure, love on them, give them cookie, whatever you want to do, just let them know. That's what I wanted. Um, I also do this with a long lead rope. I um, I take the lead rope and I swing it to where it wraps around their hind feet, their front feet, and make sure I can handle. I can get them to handle that. Um, the next step that I do with my long lead rope is I will take it. Uh, so for the front feet, I run the lead rope through the front legs, grab the end of it, and I'll lightly seesaw that rope all up and down their legs. Um, and again, stay at their shoulder. Make sure you don't have too much slack that the horse can wheel around and, and get you in a bad spot, but don't give them a choke hold. If they're standing still, if they move, just go with them, keep the nose tip towards you, stay at their shoulder and do it on all four legs until they can stand perfectly still for that. Next step is I will have that leader up in the same position to where, you know, it's wrapped around their leg and I will take, um, I will let it go down below the set lock and I will practice just lifting their legs one at a time. Um, so like for the front feet, I'll kind of stand out from their front foot at about a 45 degree angle and I'll lightly put pressure on the rope until they lift their leg and step toward me. So you're kind of leading them by their feet. With the back foot, um, I will stand at their shoulder, put the rope um, around their back leg um, and let it go below the fetlock. And I'll just lift their back foot kind of to the position like if I were to put it on a hoof stand. Um and if if they kick it, even if they kick the rope out of your hand, no problem, just start over. But you're gonna hold um hold that foot off the ground. And you might have to start with just a few, like an inch off the ground, until you see that leg relax and then release and let them know when you relax and give to that pressure, you're gonna get released. So that is all simulating me picking up their feet, but I can stand upright at their shoulder alert. And when they can handle all of that well really well, now I feel safe going to pick up your feet. Um, Before I go to pick up their feet, I go in with my hands. So I'm going to do the same thing with my hands I did with the other two tools is I'm going to rub my hands all up and down inside and outside of all four legs until they can stand still and accept that. A lot of times we're trying to pick up the feet of horses that don't even want you to touch their legs. If I can't touch their legs, I'm not picking them up. So I make sure my horse can stand quietly while I rub all four legs inside and outside and, you know, break this up over. It might take several days. You can just work on this five minutes a day as you're grooming your horse. And, and, um, I also don't do this. Um, if your horse is particularly problematic, don't do this when they're tied up. I take them to the middle of my arena with soft footing, everything's controlled. There's, there's not a chance of them pulling back and panicking. Um, and then I'll progress to tying them up later. So I do that with my hands. Now I'm ready to start picking up feet. Um, I will run my hand down their leg and give their chestnut a a light squeeze for their front leg. And I just wait until they buckle their knee. And I'll do that over and over till that becomes a cue. When I squeeze your chestnut, just buckle your knee. I won't even try to pick it up at this point. Just squeeze your chestnut, buckle your knee. And so they understand just to relax that knee and, and get it loose and ready to pick up. For the back legs, I run my hand from their hip to their hock, give the hock a light squeeze. Be mindful of this. Um, They shouldn't be in a kicking mood at this point if you've done your homework and groundwork correctly, Uh, but they might kind of get shocked and kind of shoot the back leg up a little bit. So just keep your wits about you. I'll just lightly squeeze that hock until they relax that leg and pick it up and release. And you'll find if you do this over and over with the back leg, for instance, eventually they'll realize, well, it's just easier if I just cock this hind leg and relax like this. When they do that, that tells me, okay, now I can go in and start picking up that leg. So now you're at the point where you can actually start picking up your horse's feet. I pick up their foot and I hold it if I'm able until they're relaxed. And then what I do is I completely let go and drop their foot. The reason I do this instead of just putting it down is I want the horse to support himself on his other three legs. And he needs to know that I might let go at any moment. And if you are leaning on me with all your body weight, you're going to get off balance. So you want to make sure you you want to make sure and keep your weight on your other three legs. So um, that teaches the horse not to lean into your farrier and lay on them. And if that happens, if I'm picking up their foot and they lean on me, I just let go. It's like, okay, that you're not playing that game. And they go, oh, my gosh, that was shocking. So they learn to keep their weight supported on their other legs. And then once I'm to this point, and you're probably already to this point with your horse, um, I will actually start to hold their feet like I'm the farrier. So, and again, do this with caution, take your time, but I'll start to put the front leg in between my knees and kind of rest it. I'll, I'll You take kind of a half squat, put the foot between your knees, and I'll rest it on my knees, and I'll start acting like I'm trimming their feet. And I'll, I'll even slap the bottom of their foot with my hand. And it's just a precursor to, Hey, I might tack some shoes on you later. I just want to let you know, this might happen with their back leg. Um, I don't put it between my, you know, uh, I don't put it through my knees. Like I do with the front leg. I, I just put that back leg over, um, over my, the knee, the leg that is like closest to the horse. It's hard to imagine this without being there doing it. Um, and I hope I, I, I hold it just like I'm a farrier and I'm going to um, tack some shoes on and you can even get an old horseshoe and a hammer and just kind of place the horseshoe on your horse's foot and give that shoe a couple of little taps. Oh, that's a good idea. Just just tap it so you get used to the
1: noise and the vibration. That's a good idea.
0: Yep. Um, And I will, I'll stretch, I'll teach them to stretch that front leg out. I'll teach them to stretch the back leg out. And, you know, when you do this, increase the time, you, you know, in the beginning, you might only be able to hold your horse's foot up for a moment before he gets upset. Um, you know, I always try to let go when they're being good, but then I'm going to try to increase their stamina and I'm going to increase the time I'm, I'm holding that foot in the air and messing with it. I'll kind of flex their fetlock and flex that foot back and forth. Like I'm looking at the angles of their heels. I'm just mimicking my farrier is, is all I'm doing. Um the best time of day to do this, uh, I would do it after your ride before you put the horse away because they're probably a little tired, a will, little willing to stand. And then when they've done a good job, you get to put them back in their stall. So they're like, oh, that was a nice way to end the session. And they might actually start looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, cool. A A word of warning here. You may have a horse that, like I have, after Nigel goes for a ride, he needs to go back to his stall and have a drink and a pee first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First thing he has to do before he after he rides, especially the pee part. He always has to pee after you ride. <laughs> and That's I didn't funny. I didn't realize this until one time the farrier came out and I had ridden him shortly before that, and he hadn't gone back to his stall or been turned out between the ride and the farrier visit. And I couldn't figure out why he was being such a nooch. He was being fussy and he was pawing and it was very unlike him. Well he had a pee. <laughs> Oh, poor baby. Poor guy. I'm sorry. Now I know. (laughs) Well, that's very interesting. So you're basically just mimicking. And one of the things you might try doing too, as you go down this path is the next time your farrier comes out or a farrier comes out, have them show you how to hold the horse's foot between your knees front and back and on your knees in the back, have them kind of show you where to put your body because there is there's definitely a technique to it and if you don't get that right it is less comfortable for you and less comfortable for the horse that way you have the basics of this is how i do it properly so that the horse is comfortable and i am comfortable because it doesn't take much of a yank on the horse's part if you do this incorrectly to like throw your back out so have them show you how to do it
0: yeah Yep, And your farrier is also going to have good tips um, like mine. I had a Mustang that was particularly protective of his back legs and he showed me a great way to pick up the back feet that can uh, prevent them wanting to kick. He, Ooh. It's hard to explain, but I would ask your farrier, yeah. you know, I, oh, I take my hand and push against their hip bone and push it away from me. And then I take my other hand and run it down the horse's leg to the fetlock and pick up pick up and kind of pull the leg forward and it's a way to start getting that horse to pick up his feet um but for some reason something about the leverage of it i'm not saying you can't ever get kicked but it's just it keeps it much safer the horse is much less likely to kick out or if he is he's much less likely to get you um yeah so yeah ask and ask your farrier if he has any good tips for it because these guys any farrier who's done any amount of work has worked with the wildest craziest horse in the world and um, they get good at it. They shouldn't have to but they do um, so they, they'll often have a good you know tip of, of ways to pick up your horse's feet or get getting your horse ready for the
1: farrier. Cool. Great stuff. Great question. We haven't done that one before. Well, we're, yeah. we're, we're running out of time a little bit, but stay tuned to auditors because we are going to, I am going to have a quiz question for Mary afterwards for you auditors. But after for for today's show, that's about a wrap. Where can people appropriately stalk you online, uh, get your artwork, get some DVDs, et cetera.
0: Lots of places. Um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, Mary Miller Horsemanship is my Facebook page. I'm also on Instagram under that name. Uh, for our artwork that me and my mom do, it's Troublemaker Trading Company. Also on Facebook, Instagram, online. My website is com, And uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions.
1: Cool. And we will see you back again next month on the second Thursday. And we'll geek out about trading again. If you want to submit a question for Mary... You have to be an auditor to do that, and to be an auditor, you go to horsesinthemorning.com and click on the auditor banner, which is, I think, on the right-hand side of the page. We make it pretty big. It'll be easy to find, and there you will learn how to become an auditor for as little as five bucks a month, where you get cool auditor privileges amongst those, submitting questions to Mary and other hosts, and you also get the special auditor's-only version of the show, Horses in the Morning, which comes out periodically and regularly, where we get to have a little extra chit chat. So until next time, we'll see y'all. Hang on, Mary. We're going to be back. Okay. And we'll, cut the public version there. All right. Auditors, stay tuned. Woohoo! This is my first time I've ever done the auditor's version, Mary. Oh, yay! Yay, exciting. I had a. I have a quiz question for you for Nigel. Okay. This This is something that I have struggled with with him. I don't practice it often, but we can't get the whole open and close the gate from on board the horse. Right. And it finally uh-huh. dawned on me. Why the other day, whenever he moves away from my leg laterally, he's very good about it. He tries very hard. It, it's, it's a bit tricky for him because he doesn't have the best lateral flexion behind, but he he's being as obedient as he can left mm-hmm. leg, right leg. But when he need when he moves, He needs to move away from my left aid towards the right. If there is something on the right side, he's not going to move. He will not get closer to it. For example, if I'm standing at a gate and I need to move the gate and to get through the gate, I need to move him away from my left aid towards the right so that I can push the gate. But even if Mm -hmm. we're five feet from the gate, he struggles a little bit with moving towards it, but we've, and I can get him to do it, but he gets their shoulders first, and then he swings mm-hmm. his haunches because he's very resistant to that. And it dawned on me yesterday when I was ponying scooter. We pon- I pony scooter a lot. In order to get when I pony scooter, I pony him frequently on Nigel's left side, because scooter is mm-hmm. more obedient. But what happens is scooter gets very close to Nigel. And gets into his personal space just to irritate the devil out of him. Mm -hmm. And when he does that, he squishes my foot. (laughs) (laughs) So what I want to be able to do is I want to be able to tell Nigel, shove Scooter out of the way. Get him away from my foot. But I I can't get him to do that because he will not move towards something with my aids, whether it be a gate, a piece of fencing, or a pony. So how can I break that down to teach Nigel that when I say move towards the right, even if there's an object there, it's a good idea to move to the right? Ooh,
0: good question. Um, Well, specific to the gate, I'll tell you one of the things that I figured out on uh, doing the Mustang makeovers is um, they used to make the obstacles quite a bit Uh, scarier than they are now. They had like shrubbery sticking out of them. And, and I learned from the first year doing the Mustang makeover that you could have your horse opening and closing a gate or picking a lariat up off of a pole that you need to rope something in the class. You could have them doing that at home. Terrific. But when you get to the show, they're usually going to make it more scary and maybe something your horse might not have seen before. And I would notice, and I experienced this myself, a lot of people would fail the class because they couldn't get their horse to the gate or they couldn't get their horse to the thing they have to pick the lariat up up off of. And these horses were broke. They roped cattle. They'd open plenty of gates at home. But when you're in a show situation and you've got a scary shrubbery I don't want to go near it. And their side pass gets broken. And so the trainer can't even do the obstacle. They get a big fat goose egg on it and it wrecks their chances of getting in the final. So knowing this, the next year I went back. Um, and what I did with my mare is I placed a ton of stuff um, uh, on the fence uh, of my arena. And um, I would... Be riding her around. Let's say we're working on our leads, or we're cantering, or we're trotting, or whatever. And when when I thought you need a little break for a few minutes, I would take her to the arena wall, side pass up to it, and then I would just sit and relax. I'd put my reins down, check my phone. Um, if if the things that I had on the arena, I would pick up and rubber with it. Whether you know, I started with something simple like a towel, and then I moved up to scarier things like rain flickers. But I just made it a habit of hey, it's time to take a break, side pass to the fence, and let's sit here. You can catch your air. I might rub you with something. And I got her, like, you actually will get the opposite problem of now. They're going to rub your knee off on everything because they want to side pass toward it. But I wanted that on her a little bit because then when I go, and and I did it with progressively scarier things, and anything like that I had set up, whether it was an obstacle that you are meant to side pass up to or not, you know, jump standards, whatever, I'd say, side pass up to this and take a break. And, um, that oh, just made her go, Oh, I love side
1: passing. Yeah. See that see, and Light bulbs are coming off. So what I can do, cause he has discovered the joy of taking a break. Um, mm-hmm. it, it took it me, so it, took, valuable. Yeah, it took, it took me a while to work that out, how that worked in the thoroughbred brain, because typically thoroughbreds, you know, the higher their respiration and pulse gets the better for them. Right. Um, But I I figured out how to find that place in his brain where he's going, oh, cool, let's take a break in the shade. So we usually do it in the shade for my benefit and his because it's really hot here. But using that break time, which he now craves, oh, you know something? We're going to take a break and we're going to do that by side passing and hanging out here half an inch from the gate and just hang out so that, because right now when I I side pass towards the gate, he goes, oh, this is the thing I hate to do. Oh, this is the stressful thing. And he starts to kind of. Blank out and shut down a little bit because he associates it with something that he finds either physically and or mentally difficult to do. So I like that side pass up to things like gates or a jump that I have there where he has to, in order to get the break, he has to stand very close to it and parallel to it. I like it. Yay! Ding, 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 ding. And let's say he's like extremely
0: phobic of doing that. You might start with, well, let's side pass to where we're five feet away and rest there. You know, yeah. find a starting point. Yeah, parallel to things, um, yeah. Yeah, to where he'll he'll be comfortable when you say it's rest time. And then what I would add to that, because um, horses love side-passing into things. Once they figure it out, you will have them doing it too much to where <laughs> you're worried about the safety of your kneecap. Um, so what I would do to kind of prevent that problem from even happening is when you're done with your ba- break – side pass him away and then walk off. Brilliant. So that way you, yeah, make sure you have that button installed because I guarantee if you work on this enough, pretty soon he's going to overdo it. He's going to smash you into the gate. Mm -hmm. And so you need that opposite button of no, no, no too much. Get off of the dang gate. Um, so yes, with a horse, but when, if it's like a Mustang, I'm training and I've got a perfect setup in that I've got my indoor arena and then a gate that leads to my obstacle course, so their first gate working is because I need to go to this arena. Um, so the, before I think, before I decide I'm going to open this gate with this horse and walk out, a few days before that, I'll just ride them along the arena and rest at the, that gate to where I, I have that starting point of come up to the gate, rest, and wait. So then when I do that over and over and over again, then I'm I'll there'll be one day where I'm like, I'm just going to reach for the gate and open it. Um, so that's how I do that. Um, and for the side passing and pushing something away, something you might want to look into is teaching, you, you know, those big novelty horse bouncy balls yep. that you can get, um, teach him to push on one of those. Yeah, uh, I haven't tried I that with it. him
1: yet, but you're right. He, yeah. Pushing, pushing, knocking things over. He loves any object that is smaller than an automobile and he can, he, he can get to it with his face. He has to knock it over. He loves that stuff. And but once how, it's knocked over, um, he won't continue. So the ball is a good idea. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's how police will teach their horses to do crowd control because, you know, there'll be times where they need to disperse a crowd and they just walk their horse into the crowd and the horse just steadily walk, walks forward and pushes the mm-hmm. people out of the way. Um, now, my warning with that is, uh, especially if you're doing this outside, when the ball is moving away, a lot of horses will be confident, but there is a chance the ball can, the wind can pick up and the ball can come back towards you. Be very careful about that because all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. that ball. Train so that unmounted that first. yeah, on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And teach teach the horse to follow first. So don't go right to the side passing bit. Teach him to follow it. Just roll it along and go for a walk with him. And then what you want to do is desensitize them to it. So, you know, teach him stand at his shoulder. You can bounce the ball on your side. Make sure that if, if it accidentally bumps him in the leg or gets behind him, make sure he's okay with that. Because again, they'll follow that ball usually pretty easily, but if it, the wind changes directions and it shoots past behind their drive line, now the ball is chasing them and they might run forward. So it's a great tool, but just Be
1: careful. Be careful with that one. Small steps. Perfect. Well, thank you, Mary. You're my hero. Yay. Hope that helps. (laughs) Well, as I said, everybody, Mary will be back here the second Thursday of the month. In the meanwhile, today's Thursday. So tomorrow's Friday. Glenn and Jamie will be back with more fun and hijinks and really bad ads. So see you then.